0: Anyway, if you have uh, your Bible, please uh, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 3, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. I don't know why I keep struggling with that word blasphemers. I said it really weird. Uh, the other night, and I just said it weird now. Anyway, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong. Somebody said, that's my, that's my spouse, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Here's, here it is, having a form of godliness. But denying its power from such people, turn away. What makes this, this list scary is having a form of godliness. You know, that the enemy doesn't just announce himself. He doesn't just go, hey, check me out over here. I'm wrong. I'm evil. I'm not right. What happens is there's a form of godliness, there's a there's a shadow, there's a tinge of it, so it calls into question whether this is right or wrong, and somebody famously said that in the end times, we will not have to just discern right from wrong, but we'll have to discern right from almost right. That's how the enemy plays, and so today as we continue in our series, Alternate Universe, I want to minister to you on the subject, Perilous Times, Powerful Church perilous times, powerful church. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your grace and by the great might and strength of the Holy Spirit of God. We thank you for ministering to every heart, every hearer, every doer in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated. When I was a kid, there was a song that was popular still in my generation, even though the song was from my parents' generation. It was called Mr. Sandman by the Cordettes. Anybody remember that song? Yeah. Any of you old people? Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream. Make him the cutest that I've ever seen. Give him lips like roses and clover. Then tell him that his lonely nights are over. Mr. Sandman. Remember that song? Now you all know why I don't sing, right? But you kind of get the feel, right? And and it was a great song back in the day. And everybody loved that song. But, but then the new version of the Sandman came out by Metallica enter Sandman and, and this was the the walk-up song from Mariano Rivera here are the lyrics say your prayers little one don't forget my son to include every one I'll tuck you in warm within keep you free from sin till the Sandman he comes sleep with one eye open gripping your pillow tight exit light enter night take my hand we're off to never never land something's wrong shut the light reeling thoughts tonight and they are enough snow white. Dreams of war, dreams of liars, dreams of dragons, fires, and the things that will bite you. Yeah, sleep with one eye open. Gripping your pillow tight. Exit light, enter night. Take my hand. We're off to never, never land. That's right, my friends. Your hands up like this, man. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, pray the Lord my soul to take. Hush, little baby, don't say a word. And never mind the noise you've heard. It's just the beast under your bed, in your closet, in your head. Exit light, enter night. Grain of sand, exit light, enter night. Take my hand, we're off to never, never land. I don't think that was a kid's song. It's amazing if you actually listen to the lyrics of kids' songs and things like that. They're actually kind of spooky, if if you will. This was the song that the great Hall of Famer, best reliever that has ever donned a baseball uniform, I hate to say because I'm not a Yankee fan, Mariano Rivera, would come into the game too, and it was called Enter Sandman. He had the closer's role. And this was granted to Mariano with great trust and confidence by every manager that he's played under because when you hand the ball over to the closer, even though there is still some time left in the game, basically you're saying, I'm handing the outcome of the game into your hand. And the song was played to let the other team know that even though there was a few outs yet to get, many times four outs with Mariano, that Mariano, the game was over because he was the greatest of all time. What does this verse, what does this have to do with our text of Scripture? Well, number one, this text of Scripture tells us that these are the final innings. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1, says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. To be sure, the last days technically, I want to be scriptural, began um, in, with a resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and his ascension into heaven. And it was spoken about by by uh, Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. He says, but this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. So what is the difference between... What Peter said on the day of Pentecost almost 2,000 years ago, and what Timothy is saying, which I believe is a reference to today when he says the last days. Well, the phrase last days comes from the Greek word where we get the word eschatology from. And eschatology is the theological name that we ascribe to the study of the end times or, or last things But it is actually more than just a theological term. It is actually a seafaring term. And it actually describes a ship that has gone on many stops but is entering its last port of call. And is is not going to go out on any more stops. And so in First Timothy chapter 3, what the Holy Spirit is trying to get across to us is, is that we are entering that last port of call. There aren't going to be any more stops. We are entering the final stages of the last age of time. And in this series, I I already shared with you that the the church age is the age that we are living in right now. And and that age is about to come to a close. And I'm going to be honest with you and say, you know, about to come to a close is is relative to how God's timetable works. But all of the signs are pointing to a very specific uh, um, uh, step forward, if you will, in getting closer to us being at the last port of call. And the evidence is given to us as the Scripture unfolds. Point number two, the evidence says that we are living in the final days. Perilous times, the text says. And in the original language, the word perilous means filled with danger, risk, or hurt. Times That are difficult to bear. Deeper still it describes a geographic region filled with much risk and danger to be avoided at all cost. The word perilous is only used one other time, the original word, in the whole of the New Testament. It's used over in Matthew chapter number 8 verse number 28 in the story of the demoniacs. Matthew chapter 8 verse number 28 Talks about Jesus crossing over to the other side. I'll read it in a minute. You remember that? Jesus had an extraordinary day of ministry. He was ministering, 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 ministering. He was spent. He was tired. The Bible says they took him even as he was tired into the ship. Jesus went into the lower part of the ship. He fell asleep on a pillow. He told his disciples, let's cross over to the other side. It seemed like it was a clear day. But up out of nowhere, a furious storm arose. Because that's how the devil does. He makes it seem like everything's all right. And boom, there it goes. And the storm arises and, and the disciples fear for their life. You remember that? They go to Jesus and they wake him up. They said, Lord, don't you care? And Jesus woke up and he said, and he calmed the storm and he rebuked it and there was this great calm and then he looked at the disciples. He said, how is it that you have no faith? After everything that you've seen me do, after how you've walked with me and talked with me and been around me, how is it that you don't have any faith? I told you we were going to the other side. How many of you know that when God gives you a word, you can take it to the bank? It doesn't matter what storm arises. And so Jesus, see, the reason why the storm arose, though, was because Jesus was on his way to set somebody free. See, here's what you need to know. When you are on a mission from God, there will always be storms that arise in order to stop you from fulfilling your mission. The enemy doesn't stand by and just let us you know, do it without any interference. But, But I'm glad to know that if God is on our side, it doesn't really matter what storm comes against us because we are bound to get to the other side. When you are on mission from Jesus, when you understand your purpose, when you are rooted and grounded in your purpose, there is no plan of the enemy me that can stop the purpose of Almighty God. And so they get to the other side. And when they get to the other side, it says, when he had come to that side, verse number 28, to the country of the uh, Gerda there met him two demon possessed men coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass by. And the phrase exceedingly fierce is the same Greek word perilous as in perilous times and in other words this is describing demon possessed men that presented great danger risk and hazard to people in that territory their behaviors were wild and vicious and uncontrollable at any time if anyone tried to pass by that region they would come charging out of the tr- tombs trying to attack and overcome anyone that was passing by and so the people of that area would avoid that region at all course, cost. And so this is the same word that is used perilous times. It was not only dangerous for people to be in that region, but it was emotionally trying for people who lived in that region. This is what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us will be a sign of the last days, the last port of call. Perilous, dangerous, emotionally difficult times. Look around. People are afraid in much of our large cities to walk down the street. Billions of dollars of damage by looting, rioting, and burning stuff down. Kids getting gunned down in the street in their own neighborhoods at unprecedented rates. People moving out of major urban cities because they don't feel safe In their communities. And the emotional upheaval in people's lives is off the charts. I gave you some of the stats last week about the emotional upheaval. Hotlines for emotional distress are up a thousand percent. A thousand. 65% jump in online therapy. Suicides are on the rise. Studies have shown that when people are surveyed and asked the question, do you feel anxiety, depression, or worry, that 33% of the people feel that way. These are emotionally difficult times, perilous times. That is an apt word to describe the times that we are living in. Tense, tumultuous times where so much... Hangs in the balance. The Holy Spirit, though, he gets even more specific to let us know that we are in that last port of call. He says, Perilous times shall come. This is not just a prediction, it is a description. He's not just saying like, you know, I'm I'm prophesying, I'm forecasting. Actually, shall come as a description. It literally means in the original language where you would be encumbered and surrounded on every side by perilous times. That you won't be able to get away from them. That where you look here and where you look there and when you go here and when you go there, we'll be looking for reprieve and looking for solace and looking for peace. But everywhere that we look, there will be perilous, tumultuous times, chaos and confusion confusion all around perilous times. This is an apt description of the times that we are living in. I'll be honest and say this. Will there be a reprieve maybe for a season? There might be. We, We might have a pause. We might have a space of additional grace. We might. And the reason why I say that is because we we really don't know. And and one of the things I know about God is that He is long-suffering, waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. And so we might have a season of calm. But here's what we do know. The seasons of unrest are happening quicker and faster and more furious than ever before. If we get a break, we can only get a break for a minute, and then all of a sudden, boom, we're back into another season of unrest and season of tumultuousness and all of that. And this is a sign that we are in the last port of call. Of these signs, the Holy Spirit says, you must know, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Don't pretend it doesn't exist. Don't pretend like it's not happening. Don't put your head in the sand. Know this. Literally, this is something that we must be aware of, aware of, so it doesn't take us off guard. I don't know about you, but I like a heads up. Anybody like a heads up? Right? God is trying to give us a heads up. God is trying to give us a heads up so we'll keep our head up, amen? So if he gives us a head up, it's so that we'll look up. If he gives us a head up, it's so that our relationship with him would be stronger and tighter so we'd be prepared to walk and be powerful in perilous times, right? Let me put it in baseball terms for you. Here's what the Holy Spirit is saying. You are entering the part of the game upon which everything else hinges. It's the most pressurized part of the game. Outs are harder to come by. You are facing the heart of the batting order. The hitters have been warmed up. They've had three at-bats already. So they're locked in. They've seen the fastball. They've seen the off-speed stuff. This there, There might be runners on base. The bases might be loaded. The margin for error is smaller. You have to be precise. You have to be on your game. You have to focus. Know what you are walking into. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying. But then the Holy Spirit gives even further, very specific evidence that we are entering into the last port of call. He says, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Goes on and on and on. And if you look at this description, it is perfect to what is happening right now. Let me just elaborate on a few of what these things mean. Blasphemers. Not just blasphemy against God. We, we tend to think when we heard, hear the word blasphemy that is exclusive to saying something derogatory or against the Lord. But the word blasphemy literally means to slander, to accuse, to speak against to speak derogatory words for the purpose of injuring or harming another's reputation. Is that not what we see happening all across our world? People don't just disagree with one another anymore. They disagree, and in their disagreement, they purposefully and intentionally seek to discredit the other person, to defame the other person, to bring out all of the person's dirty laundry, even if it happened 20, 30, 40 years ago. Anybody would be happy with somebody just knowing all your business? Anybody feel like they've lived that holy of a life that if somebody reaches back into all your closet and pulls out all your stuff, that there's nothing that you're going to be embarrassed of? Come on, people. We all have stuff. But here's what people are trying to They're reaching back, pulling it out, throwing it in the news. And is this not the political discourse? Think about this political parties feuding with one another, not just disagreeing with one another, not just saying, well, I stand for this, and well, I don't agree with that, and I stand for this, but not only saying I stand for this or that, but saying that, well, if you stand for that, then you're this, and you're that, and you're the other thing, and you're the other thing, and by the way, we know about this that happened to you, and that that happened to you, and this that happened to you. Cameras trying to catch people spying on one another, trying to find out all the dirt on one another to discredit one another. Why? looking for power, hungry for power. And the Bible talks about this. I've watched and heard blasphemy coming out of not just one party, but the mouths of both parties. I have watched on television as politicians, listen to me carefully, both conservative and Republicans have cursed right on TV. Just right out in the open. Oh, yeah, but the, just little ones, Pastor. used to be that all that stuff was was not allowed on TV. Nobody would allow people to curse. And there's a justification because if you're talking about the other party that you disagree with, you could drop whatever type of curse you want at them because they deserve it. That is the discourse that is happening. And a matter of fact, I love it the way the politicians do. Have you ever watched like the Senate and the House hearings? Have you ever seen that? They they're, they're, they they have this form of decorum. I yield my time to the gentlewoman from this place. I, I yield my time to the gentlemen from this place. Then after they call each other gentlewomen and gentlemen, then they blast each other. Boom! It's like, what happened to gentlemen and gentlewomen. One group that studies political officials tallied how many times politicians publicly use obscene language and the stats of that foul language by politicians, which, by the way, blasphemy includes foul language. The stats have hit an all-time high. They are up 100% from recent years. Matter of fact, the word blasphemy, as I just said, it includes swearing and cursing. And the epidemic of profanity goes beyond politicians who couch their blasphemous language and protocols on the floor that seem gentleman and gentlewoman-like. The epidemic of blasphemous language, swearing and cursing, is everywhere. It's in our comedy, it's in our satire, it's in our talk shows, in our news, in our movies, in our literature, and our musical lyrics. Matter of fact, when I googled Enter Sandman by Metallica, I had to Google it twice. Because the third line, which says, I'll tuck you in, changed the T to an F. And I was like, what? What's going on here? I remember back in my day, the men would be talking. And, you know, men have loose lips. This is before I was saved. And, you know, everybody's not watching their language. And a woman would walk over and all the men would say, hey, watch your language. Now, it was almost like men are allowed to curse and women aren't. I I think we missed the point. But there was some respect that had gone on there. An understanding that foul language is foul language. And if I can tell the truth, we excuse foul language if it comes from the political party of our preference. As though there's nothing wrong with it. As though the words we speak in God's eyes It's okay, as long as you agree with me politically. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 29 says, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything... Oh, I love this verse. I want you to underscore the word everything. How many believe God says what he means and means what he says? I need to get full participation on this. How many believe God says what he means and means what he says, right? Okay, so we, we understand that there's no, there's no wiggle room for what everything means, right? Let everything that you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I wonder if before we said anything, tweeted anything, posted anything, put anything up on Facebook, if we said to it, "Is this going to encourage and be good for the people who read this, hear this, see this?" How many stuff we would, how much stuff we would have to refrain from putting out there? Because I, I, I really believe with all my heart that our objective is no longer to be good and encouraging and fruitful for the people that hear it, but that our purpose for everything is to prove a point. Our purpose for, am I preaching real good this morning? Our purpose for everything is to be right. See, I think our purpose for everything is, it should be to be God like, I mean, the scripture says that when Jesus was being crucified, he opened not his mouth. Do you know why? Because when the pressure is on, it's easy to. And Jesus had to refrain from opening up his mouth. Because if he said, help legions of angels, it just came. If he said back off, they all would have fell over dead. So he had all this power in his words, and he had to specifically watch what he said at the moment of execution, at the moment of pressure, because it would have caused a lot of damage to all of the human race. By the way, I don't know if y'all can handle this. Do you know how you tell godly leadership? by what comes out of a person's mouth when they're under pressure. Uh Uh-oh. Just got into some of y'all's business right there. Notice the Bible says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Welcome to the alternative, alternate universe That we live in, where foul language is mainstream. If you have a bleep machine on your TV, I don't know if you can go through one sentence without a bleep. bleep, 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 bleep. You can't even understand what they're saying so much gets bleeped out. One more sign that we are in the final innings. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 2 says, Blasphemers, disobedient to parents. The word disobedient means unpersuadable. Uncontrollable, inconvincible. It means no longer able to persuade, to lead or exercise authority over. It depicts a loss of control or a lack of ability to persuade, lead or control. And the word parents here describes both biological parents and those who are entrusted with the responsibility of raising a child to adulthood. The phrase tells us, disobedient to parents, that one of the signs of the end of the age, that we are in the last innings, is when children whose parents have been giving given the God-given responsibility to raise them to adulthood will become or lose their ability to persuade, control, convince, and lead Their children, parenthood, would come under assault. Children will assert their own right to make decisions for themselves without parental influence or intervention, including many life-altering decisions detrimental to their long-term well-being. In California, they have now made 14 the age of consent. Fourteen. Think back to when you were 14. Your head wasn't on straight when you were 14. You thought everything, you know, you thought you knew everything at 14. 14 is now the age of consent. So if you're 24 and you have sex with a 14-year-old, it's not pedophilia right now in California. Hello? Children making their own decisions detrimental to their long-term well-being without the influence of parents in their life. What did we think we were signing up for when we made it publicly and culturally a crime to spank your child? I'll tell you what, I thank God for them spankings that I got along the way. I remember one time, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but I'm going to tell you. I remember one time, I think I was... 17 or 18. And, um, my mom and I got into it. And, uh, and I, there was a saw nearby. My dad was doing some work. And my mom smacked me and I, and I picked up the saw and went like this. My dad came home. Woo! I was in my room. He literally busted the door down in my room. Busted the door down in my room and slapped me right across the face. Don't you ever raise your hands to your mother. Nowadays, you're crazy if you do that. You're wrong if you do. You're going to jail if you do that. And I'm not, sub- I'm not subscribing to abuse children But listen, the word of God is still true. It ain't popular, but it's true. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 30 says the blueness of the wound cleanses evil. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 24 says those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. If you are not disciplined by your heavenly father, Hebrews chapter 12 verse number 8, then you are bastards and not legitimate children. Disobedient. Disobedient to parents. Signs of the time. We need more moms like Toya Graham. You know who Toya Graham is? Her son was on TV during the rioting in the aftermath of Freddie Gray. She seen him on TV. She said, Oh no. Oh no, he ain't burning nothing down. He ain't flipping nothing over. He ain't doing, he, if you want to just Peacefully march, fine, peacefully march, nothing wrong with that, but you're gonna start burning stuff and ripping stuff down, Uh uh-uh, not my son. She went there in the middle of the street, she gained the business and pulled him back home. We need more moms like, like, like Toya. (laughs) Parents don't lose, don't give up. I mean, kids today, their parent will go to discipline, I'm gonna call the cops on you. I hand my kid the phone. call call see our text is telling us in very specific terms what the end of the age the last innings will look like now what does this mean for us what does this mean for the people of god number three and lastly god has given us the closers role you know closers get paid big bucks right That's why nobody wants to be like a long reliever. You don't get big bucks if you're a long reliever, although it's still like three, four million dollars. Ain't nothing wrong with that, right? But if you're a closer, you get paid the big bucks. Why? Because your role is so important. God has given us the closer's role. If this is the last port of call, if this is the end of the age, if these are the last innings, then we are God's Mariano Rivera's. We are the closers. We are the ones who have been divinely selected to bring home the win. We have been divinely instructed to stand strong in a world gone crazy, not cave under cultural pressure, but rather to stand up for morality, righteousness, justice, and mercy of all the people that God could have ordained for this moment in time. He has chosen us. What an honor. What a privilege. What a responsibility. 1 Peter 2.9 says, For you are a chosen generation, a royal to the holy nation God's very own possession Uh, as a result you can show others the goodness of God we he has called you out of darkness into this marvelous light church we are here because God has chosen us for this hour we were literally born for such a time as this and we have what it takes we have the word of God we have the power of the Holy Spirit we have the protection of God the compassion of God the light of God the gospel of Jesus Christ we have the word the world needs we have the hope the world needs we have the message the world needs we have the answer the world needs. We have Jesus who is for us and standing with us. We have his assurance that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Let's go out there and show people the goodness of God. Let's rise above the fray. Let's not get caught in a political narrative. Let's not pick a side, but let's determine to be on God's side. Let's carry his message of forgiveness, of hope, and of heaven to people. Let's love our neighbor as ourselves. Let's pour in the oil and the wine. Let's stand out, not blend in. Let's love the lost. Stand with the marginalized. Speak truth to power. Let's be a counterweight to the crazy morality in this world. Let's be the church. Let's defund hell and fund heaven. That's what we should be about. Let's do it, church. We are the powerful church in perilous times. Would you stand to your feet? Here's what Isaiah said. He said, Arise, shine, for light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. Deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you. And his glory will be seen upon you. Isaiah prophesied that. Jesus picked it up in Matthew 5. His words, red-letter words, let your light so shine before men that he may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. What's he saying? Shine, church. Remain faithful. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. These are perilous times. But just like the demoniacs came out and jumped on every normal person living in that region, when Jesus got there, their time was over. Those people who were being possessed were freed. Friends, when you walk on the scene, you bring in the light of Christ, the power of Christ. The atmosphere ought to change when you're in a place. You ought to be able to cause a calm instead of add to the confusion. You bring the precious Holy Spirit. I don't know why I feel led to say this, but I'll say it. Years ago, I had a meeting with a billionaire. And I was so nervous about this meeting. And as I was just What do I say? What do I do? How do I act? And then the Holy Spirit said this to me. Are you tripping? He said, he's not even saved. He doesn't have what you need. You got what he needs. I went in there like I had more money than him. I spoke to him from a point of view of mentorship. Speaking to his life, into his life, not him speaking into my life. Because I can tell you this, all the money in the world won't buy your way into heaven. It's only one thing that'll get you into heaven, into the presence of God for the rest of your life. And that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. He died two years later. His businesses went belly up, bankrupt. He needed Jesus. I got a chance to tell him about Jesus. He came to one of our services. I don't know whether he ever accepted the Lord or not. I never saw him raise his hand. I never saw a confession out of his mouth. But one of the things that I know is that it's not really our job to get somebody saved, it's our job to tell them about the Savior. It's the Holy Spirit's job. Let us be faithful. Let us be a powerful church in perilous times. Let us truly believe what we say we believe. That if these are the last days, that there's not a person that we are going to meet who we don't shine the light of the glorious gospel their way. We are God's closers. Where's Mariano Rivera's? Let's close it out. Let's close it out well. Let's live to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant.